You know, my favorite people on the planet are people that come to church on holiday weekends. So thank you for being here this morning. Go church, how you feeling this morning? Doing okay? I do love you. And even though you're not in the room right now, if you're watching online, I do love you as well, and so do all of us. So we greet you, those tuning in from whatever cabana you're sitting at right now. And uh, all of you on our MoCo, uh, you know, Montgomery County campus up in Maryland, West Side Atlanta, we greet all of you. And we're just thankful to be a church that's reaching so many different people. And uh, the last round of applause I wanna give is a part of our tradition here. We always love to honor people that put their comfort and safety behind ours. And that's those who serve in the military, those who serve as a first responder. It is so Christ-like to value others above ourselves. And so you deserve honor, you deserve recognition. And so we wanna give that to you today. Church family, can we welcome in all those who have served or are serving as a military member or first responder? Can we just say thank you to them? Thank you for serving, for sacrificing all the above. Grateful for you. Couple of announcements and then I'll pray and we'll, we'll dive right in. Uh, one, first Wednesday gathering, this Wednesday. 7 p.m. right here in this room. Gonna be a really special night. I want you to be here for that. Pastor JC will be here for that as well. So make sure you're in the rooms on uh, Wednesday night, 7 p.m. right here for First Wednesday Gathering. And then next week, Pastor JC will be back behind the pulpit, taking us through a brand new sermon series called Game Changers. We got football kicking off and so kind of dealing with that whole theme and I'm excited about it. And I am just a real disappointed Georgia Tech fan and I don't know why I even like them. So, uh, but I'm excited about the season and uh, I think it's gonna be a great series. Even more excited about that because I think God's, not I think, I know God's doing something special in our church. And so Pastor JC's gonna take us uh, to a really healthy place with that series. So I'm looking forward to that. And while I'm on the subject, I do sometimes, not sometimes, oftentimes throughout the summer, I've had an opportunity to preach and very rarely have I given uh, any sort of honor or recognition to Pastor JC for allowing me to speak so much. And I do genuinely, I don't know if you're watching this or not, but I do just wanna say thank you, Pastor, uh, for trusting me with the pulpit as often as you do. I don't know if it's that you trust me or you're just not watching when I preach and so you're just hoping it goes, but either way, you keep letting me do it and I just keep saying thank you for that. Church family, can we say thank you to our pastors for the weight they carry, the way that they serve. Really grateful for you, man. Well, let me do this. Let me pray for you and uh, you pray for me as I dive into the word because uh, I don't wanna preach my own agenda here. So pray for me that I'd be able to hear from the Lord and I'll pray for you that you can receive his word into your heart. Father, I thank you for this church. I don't, I don't know of a better church to be a part of on a Sunday morning than the people that call Go Church Home. And I really mean that. I'm honored to get to stand here in front of them. But this day is not about me. It's not about any person. This is about your word. And so I pray that your word would go forth. Let it land on fertile soil in their heart and that it would grow and produce fruit and life and multiplication. Uh, God, if I have any agenda at all, strike it down right now. Don't wanna speak an empty word. Don't wanna speak a hollow word. Don't wanna try to inflate my ego. God, I just wanna empty myself. So fill up everything I say with the power of your presence. Be with us today, God. We honor you and we glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're ready for the word, say I'm ready. Okay, we're gonna get to that. But I gotta tell you a story first because it's gonna set the stage for it. This is a sad story about a little pug named Gus, okay? So me and my wife uh, adopted this, well, we didn't adopt him, we paid for him, okay? So miss me with all the, why did you pay? Why didn't you adopt? Okay, just, we bought him, all right? Deal with it, okay, so bought this pug uh, during the pandemic because frankly, we were in Maryland and it was gonna be a year before we were even allowed out of our house and so we were lonely, okay? We wanted a pug. So here's the thing about a pug, if you don't know, they're almost like a dog, uh, like they're very close to being a dog, just a little bit dumber, okay? Just a little bit dumber than a normal dog because they cannot control their appetite. Like anything, and I mean anything, that Gus saw on the floor that could possibly fit in his mouth, and even if it didn't, he would find a way and consume it. So sock after sock, 
plastic toy after plastic toy. And look, I don't know what my theology is on praying for dogs. Like, I don't know how I feel about that, but we did anyways. And every time he would eat another sock, I'd be like, okay, God, can you come through again? I don't know, this feels weird to pray about this. And he always would, one thing after another. Well, one day, my wife was doing laundry and unlike her husband, uh, she does not have pinpoint accuracy and precision with Tide Pods. And so, yeah, she, uh, she dropped it on the floor and Gus was right there. I mean, he was right there, grabbed the Tide Pod and then ran because he knew he wasn't supposed to have it. Got to whatever place he thought was a safe place, bit into it one time, instantly spit it out and just starts foaming at the mouth. So I get on the phone, pay $75 to talk to Pet Poison Control, which what in the world, man? So $75 later, I'm letting this Pet Poison Control tell me nothing helpful, literally nothing helpful at all. So I'm just sitting there and I'm holding him in the backyard. And I mean, and I'm just, I'm crying because he is like panting for every single breath. And I'm just like, not like this. Like, I don't wanna have a, I don't know. And I know I'm gonna, all the women in the house are gonna start crying. I don't want a dog to die in my arms like ever in my entire life. That's not a story I wanna share. But thankfully, Gus pulled through, people. He didn't die, he pulled through. And then a couple weeks later, he bit my neighbor and now he lives in Maryland with my brother. Okay, so... Yeah, so he started getting an appetite for human flesh, and I ain't trying to have that around my little kids. So there you go. But Gus is alive and well, all right? He's alive and well. And I tell that, that silly story to tell you this, that you and I are not really that different. We are obsessed with fulfilling any appetite we want for anything at all, ever. We believe if I want it, I should have it. If I desire this thing, I deserve it, I need it. Because every craving I have is obviously good for me, right? False, it's not. And so today, we're gonna look at a passage from the Old Testament uh, that talks exactly about this, about what happens when our cravings can really jeopardize our health and frankly, can end our life. And so the story I'm gonna read to you, let me set the stage for it first. God, his chosen people, the nation of Israel, They're in bondage in Egypt. He raises up Moses. Moses leads them out of, you know, all the plagues. And, you know, you you know the story if you grew up in church. If you're at church on Labor Day weekend, you probably know the story, right? So he leads them out. You know the story. He sticks the staff in the Red Sea. The Red Sea parts. They cross through it. Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston sing about it in the 90s. And then, you know, all the 90s kids. Come on. If you know, you know. All right. So if you know, you know. So they they cross through, they get to the other side, and for 40 years, they just wander around the desert, waiting to go into the promised land. And what happens is because this nation is not able to set up a farming system, because they're nomadic, right? They pick up and they move, and they're wandering around. Uh, They can't set up farms and gardens, and it's hard for them to systemize how to hunt and, and do these things. So God takes care of them by providing this food called manna, which... No one truthfully knows what it is. In fact, even the word manna means what it is. That's literally the Hebrew word is what it is. Like this, you know, this. That's, they couldn't think of what it even was. Kind of like a bread-like, pudding-like kind of substancy resin thing. Nobody really knows. But the point is, food came down from heaven every single day. Like every day, which is awesome, Right? Well, that's where we pick up in this story. That's the context you need. Numbers chapter 11, starting at verse four. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the, chi- the I almost said the chipotle, right? And garlic, I'm so hungry. It's 11.45, I'm starving right now. <sighs> chipotle for lunch, babe. I don't know why, I just, I, I feel that, okay? Onions and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Verse 10, skip a couple verses. 
Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents, and the Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? You burden me with these people. Look what he says about them. Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant? He's calling them a bunch of babies. He said, they're being a bunch of babies and I gotta carry them around the desert like a mother carrying an infant, as a nurse carries an infant, to the land promised on oath to their ancestors. Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. And look what happens. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're gonna treat me, please go ahead and listen, it sounds dramatic, but kill me now. Moses is literally, he's about to go into mental breakdown because an entire nation is complaining to him and is begging him to fill their stomachs with anything that they wanna eat. And it's, it's literally breaking him down mentally to the point where he's telling God, just kill me. If this is gonna be on me forever, kill me now. If I have found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. And then God responds to Moses. So what I'm about to read to you, God is telling Moses to tell this to the nation of Israel. The Lord heard you when you wailed, if only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. All right, shout out to all the old school parenting right here. I love this. Oh, I'll give you meat and you're gonna eat it. And whether you like it or not, you're gonna eat everything that I put on your plates. You better eat that meat. You will not eat it, listen, just for one day. No, 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 not two days, not five days, not 10 days, not 20 days. Check this out. But for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. Like, yeah. So listen, if you're one of those that thinks the Bible is boring, you're boring, okay? This is awesome. God's like, oh, you want meat? You're gonna have so much meat, it's gonna come out your nose because you can't handle how much meat I'm about to give you. And listen, I, and, it, and I do, I like to just kind of imagine things, but I mean, God was angry. He was angry at their wailing. But this is why, you've rejected the Lord. You didn't just reject my manna. You didn't just reject my mirror. You're rejecting me. You don't think that I'm enough. You would rather turn to meat than turn to me. You've rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? So. 11 verses later. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up to two cubits deep all around the camp as far as a day's walk in any direction. Do you know how deep two cubits is? I didn't either, so I researched it. Three feet deep. A day's walk in any direction, three feet deep. So past their knees. I mean, that is a lot of meat, people. Okay, so let's keep reading. All that day and night, and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 homers. Then they spread them out all around the camp. No one person. Do you know how much 10 homers is? 1.6 metric tons. Each family. Guys, come on. 1.6 tons? Like, I know you're hungry, but my God, where did you even get the energy to gather 1.6 tons per family of meat? That is a lot of work. Day and night, gathering the meat, spreading it out all over camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth, before it could even be consumed, all that work, all that effort, gathering all that meat, 1.6 tons of meat, all that work, the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. Now let me pause right here because I know either online or in this room right now, there's a, a skeptic of the Christian faith and you say, you know what? See, that's my problem right there. He struck them with a plague, seriously? That's so carnal. That's so barbaric. Why is God so mean? Doesn't he love these people after all? And let me counter that because I get it. I, I get it. But let me respond to that really quick. If you're a parent, which now I am, if you're a parent, the most unloving thing you could possibly do is allow your child 
to crave after and pursue after something that cannot sustain their life or their health. In other words, the only way you can be a loving parent is to be angry at anything that could come and steal, kill, or destroy their life or their well-being or their happiness. The opposite of love is not anger. The opposite of love is apathy. The opposite of love is to say, you know what, whatever. I don't know, like whatever. A good parent gets angry at the thing that can kill their child. And that's exactly what God's doing. He's seeing an entire nation that he loves start to chase after things that cannot sustain them. They can't grow. So of course he has to do something to show them the destructiveness of their behavior. Struck them with a the plague. Therefore, that place was called Kibroth Hata'ava because they were buried, they buried the people who had craved other food. And then from Kibroth Hata'ava, the people traveled to Hazaroth and stayed there. So, in order to know kind of where we're going today, you gotta know what these two places mean. Because keep in mind, they are not going to a place familiar to them. So every place they go, they're literally making maps and they're naming these regions because they didn't have names for them. So the place they named where all that meat was and where they started burying all the people that died because of their cravings, and they literally called it Kabroth Hata'ava, which means the graves of craving. That's what they named that place, the graves of craving. But some of them made it past those graves of craving and they made it to the place of Hazaroth, which is called the settlement. So in other words, some of them, they went into the grave, but for others of them, their cravings were settled and their cravings went into the grave. Think of it like this. Some people had their cravings settled and some of them just went straight to the grave. So let me ask you this today. At the risk of being cheesy and rhyming, Pastors are cheesy, right? This is just what we do. But a cheesy point with a serious implication. Are you saved from the grave that you tend to crave? You and I tend to crave things that will put us in the grave unless something is done about it. So what is the difference between people that make it past the graves of craving and they finally have their cravings settled? That's what we're gonna look at today. To move beyond the grave you crave, we're gonna pick apart this verse and see what we need to do and what we need to know. Verse four, the rabble with them began to crave other food. So let me tell you about the rabble. The rabble is a group of people that were traveling with the nation of Israel that were not Israelites. They were not Jewish. They were more than likely people that lived in Egypt and were very, very impressed by God's plagues and very, very intrigued. And let me know if this sounds familiar to you. They were interested in God's power, but they were not interested in being fully devoted to him and in a covenant with him. So they were on board to see the power, but they were not on board to be devoted fully to him. That's the rabble. And the reason that the rabble was allowed to travel with the nation of Israel is because the rabble had a lot of money. They had a lot of livestock. If you go and read Exodus chapter 12, they owned a lot of animals. So that means this is why the Israelites let them travel with them because they didn't fully trust God. So they said, okay, if things get weird out here in the desert, at least let's let this rabble, this multitude come with us so that if we get hungry, we can eat their food. We can use them. So the rabble was using God because they wanted to see more miracles and the Israelites were using the rabble and it just, it led to disaster because it started with the rabble. The rabble began to crave other food and then the Israelites did. So if you wanna move beyond the grave you crave, the first thing you gotta do, move away from the people enticing you to crave it. If you wanna move away from the grave that you crave, if you want that craving to be settled, and look, I know you think that this is just a message for your teenagers and only your teenagers need to know this, and that's true, and the people that you hang around with really do matter, but it matters also for the adults. Like, it, it matters. Now, I gotta tell you what I'm not saying, because I don't want you to hear the wrong thing. I'm not saying that you need to go to Costco, buy all the canned goods and all the bottled waters you can, wait it out in your basement until Jesus comes back because you're scared of being contaminated by the world, okay? That's not what I'm telling you to do. Now, some people may tell you to do that. That's not. 
I believe Jesus called us to be a city on a hill, to be salt and light that preserves this world from corruption and decay and that illuminates the darkness that's in this world. So I'm not telling you to hide from the world because that world's gonna contaminate you. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that the people that are in your life, to just ask yourself, who's influencing who? Because Galatians 6 tells us, if a brother's in a sin, you who are spiritual should redeem that person. But, but beware, lest you also be tempted. In other words, if your efforts to restore that person is actually kind of making you a little bit more sinful, if their cravings are starting to become your cravings, it's time to cut some people out of your life. Think about it. Those ladies you do brunch with, right? You're drinking your little mimosas and it's cute on Instagram, right? You're gossiping the whole time. You're like, you're gossiping. That's not who you are. You're a woman of God a woman of grace and elegance and beauty. But the rabble in your life loves to gossip. And they love to talk bad about those other women, right? They love to talk bad. And I'm not just coming for the ladies. Guys, the rabble in your life, you, you come back and when you spend time with those guys, you're disrespectful to your wife. You tell crude jokes. You cuss more. You're inappropriate. It's, you're not living as a man of God, a man of holiness, a man of integrity. You've got rabble in your life that you can say, yeah, I'm trying to lead them to Christ. No, 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 no. I don't think that's the case anymore. If they are influencing you, you gotta get out. Now, if you're influencing them, keep going. Raise them up to a higher standard. But if they're making you compromise your standard and meet them where they are, get out. Run away. Jesus even said, Cut that right arm off. It's better to go to heaven without a right arm than to go to hell with it. So cut it off. Move away from the people enticing you to, to crave those things that'll lead you to the grave. Next thing we gotta know, Numbers 11, verse four. So the rabble with them begin to crave other food. And again, the Israelites start wailing. If only we had meat. If only we had meat. Be very, very careful about the things that you say. Because if meat is the only thing you want, you, didn't want, you don't want the presence of God anymore? You, you don't want the provision, the law of God? Only we had meat? Only? Here's my next point to you. If, if meat is the only thing you want, you better hope that it's able to give you everything you need. And if you wanna move beyond the grave you crave, you better make sure that the only thing you want is able to give you everything that you need. Otherwise, you're heading for the grave. You're heading for the grave if the only thing that you really care about is not God. It's a created thing. Guys, this earth will pass away. Your car that costs way too much money and you cannot afford that payment anyways, right? That house, your clothes, your friends, your spouse, your family, everything will pass away. It's all fading away. That only thing that you live for, if it can't give you everything that you need forever and all eternity, you need to have something else become your only thing. Because everyone is worshiping something. Everyone is. Now, if you consider yourself an atheist or a skeptic, you would say, no, nah, I don't worship anything. I don't have faith. Well, you might not call it that, but everyone who's breathing right now and woke up and got out of bed this morning has something that they're choosing to live for. They have something. And it might be, well, I gotta climb the ladder. You know, my parents didn't make much of themselves, so I gotta be a big deal at my company. Or I gotta have a lot of money to give my kids the life I never had. Or I need to have a lot of people affirm me so that I can really know that I've arrived. If I can have this position, this many followers, this much influence, this, that, whatever it is, you have that thing that's driving you. Everyone is driven by something. My invitation to you is to evaluate right now, can that thing give you everything that you need, really? Because everyone I know that has climbed that ladder, they end up miserable. Yeah, you got all that money and you spent all those years gathering the same way they gathered all that meat, all that energy, all that time, all that gathering all the meat without a refrigerator in the desert, it's gonna expire. Like, I, I don't mess with those expiration dates. Now, my wife is like, yeah, just cut around it. No, 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 no. Like, I don't mess with those expiration dates, okay? That's what we're doing. You're hoarding all this wealth that has an expiration date. 
It's not gonna get you what you need. It's a lie. It's an illusion. They're trying to bait and switch you into <laughs> believing something. Can the only thing you want give you everything you need? And can I tell you, the reason that God is good is because if he is actually the only thing you want, if you truly believe and, and make it and internalize it that his grace is sufficient, there is nothing that could happen in your life. No amount of death all around you, no amount of circumstances, poverty, lack of freedom. There is nothing that could steal your joy because if you have Christ, then you have everything you need. My invitation to you, come on, is the thing you're living for able to give you everything you need? If not, you're heading for the grave and it's gonna take you there with it. So you gotta evaluate that. Next verse. We, oh, this is the one that gets me stirred up. Okay, so let me pull up my, my pants here, all right, because I'm about to preach this. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Really? No cost? Yeah, Egypt, those were the good old days. Yeah, love, love, oh yeah, all those vegetables. I tell you what, that food was really good. It was awesome seeing my kids have to be forced into slavery. That was great. Really great. Oh, I love when my taskmaster was abusive to me. Oh yeah, I love getting to build this pagan nation. It was awesome. I mean, we had to work all day and night, but yep, they gave us food. They gave us, come on, seriously? And I get so frustrated, but that lives in me too. And it lives in us. No cost. Look, they literally forgot the cost of all that delicious food. Hey, and I'm not lying. It might have been good. Like they might not be lying about it, but they're forgetting the cost. They didn't have anything. They didn't have the right to do anything they wanted. They didn't have freedom. And that's what sin does. It costs you your freedom. You're a slave to it. You become a slave to your appetite. And the more and more you consume, the less joy it brings you. The law of diminishing returns. And that's exactly what we see here. So if you want to move beyond the grave you crave, you gotta recognize the cost of your craving. You gotta recognize the cost. You need to find those, uh, you know, if you're listening to like a timeshare speech or applying for a credit card, you better know those hidden fees, okay? Uh, come on, somebody. You need to make sure you know what you're really signing up for because this is the way that manipulative salesmen will get you and it's the same thing that sin does to you. They'll tell you just enough of what's true and glamorous to get you to buy something that on the other side of it is darkness and decay. On the other side of it is hidden fees and costs that you don't know you're gonna have to pay, but there's hidden fees. And let me get out of the spirit into the flesh for just a second, because I wanna help you with this. Whenever you're getting trying to buy something, do not fall for the speech of, whew, this is a really big discount. I, let me go get my manager. I don't know if I can approve this. And the manager comes back, Okay, I mean, I guess we should let them have this. They're lying to you, okay? It's just, just, and look, if you're a salesperson, I'm sorry, but these people need to know, okay? Like, you guys are so sneaky. Stop doing that to my people, all right? Okay, end, end, end that one. But there's a hidden fee to everything, and sin is sneaky. It smuggles in the hidden cost, makes you forget the cost, or makes you unaware of it to begin with. And we look at this and we say, those Israelites, they're so foolish. Come on, that's in me and you too. Because by the way, it didn't say anything about the devil showing up convincing them that, that there was no cost to eat back in Egypt. That wasn't the devil. Don't give him too much credit. You and I, you're really good at convincing yourself to do really foolish and destructive things. You don't need the devil to whisper it in your ear. You know how to convince yourself to do every dumb thing you've ever done, and so do I. Every bad decision I've ever made, I was a part of it. <laughs> I just keep following myself everywhere I go, there I am. I just keep showing up at all these bad decisions that I've made because I know something about me and it's the same thing true of you. I know how to convince myself that there's no cost. I know what to tell myself to trick myself into doing something destructive for myself. So let me tell you, just a couple, and this isn't a comprehensive list, but just to get your wheels turning on how to hear that voice that's trying to get you to forget the cost. It sounds something like this. Well, the Bible doesn't specifically say that it's a sin. I mean, it references it, but technically it, come on, you know. 
Or what I've heard a lot of people say is, well, sure, it says it in the Old Testament, the New Testament, but Jesus didn't mention it. Jesus didn't say anything about it. Come on. Like, seriously? You really think you're trying to sneak? You're talking yourself into it. Or this one. Well, everyone else is doing it. I mean, I go to church with this family and they do it too. So it must not be that bad. It must not be that big of a cost, right? This craving must not be that bad. Or, well, sure, I'm craving this, but at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Because, I mean, their life is just a hot mess. So at least, I mean, look at me. Like, I'm here, I'm in church, I got my Sunday best on. At least I'm not like these little savages over here. That's not, come on. You're tricking yourself into it. Or this one. Well, I'm not hurting anybody else. It's not gonna hurt anybody else. It's not hurting anybody. Can I tell you something? You are somebody. You are somebody. You bear the image of God. And when you do something that is destructive to the image of God, that is sin. It's sin. Harming yourself, it's sinful. It's denying the image of God. It's undervaluing and undermining the image of God. So no, it might not be hurting other people, but it is hurting you. And frankly, I would even debate that it's not hurting other people, but that's another sermon for another day. How about this one? Or I'll know when it's time to stop. I, I don't know. The cost, I won't have to pay the cost. I'll avoid the cost, right? So I know the line of the sin is here, but I'm just gonna get just, just there's the line right there. Let me just sniff what it's like on the other side, right? Oh yeah, that smells good. I'm not gonna do it. Uh, the line's right there, but I'm gonna just lean in and you're getting as close and you're playing a dangerous game with sin. When the Bible says to flee from the appearance of evil, you're up here flirting with it. I mean, you're getting, I know, okay, we're not married yet, but there's the line right there. I'm just gonna, how close can I get before I cross the line? Come on, it's not wisdom. It's not wisdom. Don't ignore the cost. Recognize the cost. Identify those tactics. And God is the answer for this one right here because God doesn't ask you to ignore the cost. He actually pays it for you. Like, he paid the cost of your craving. And I'll get back to that at the end, but that's a good place to at least say thank you, Jesus, right? So let's keep going here. Numbers 11, verse six. I'm almost there. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Oh, I'm so sick of seeing miracles fall from heaven every single day. It's crazy. I'm so sick of all this manna. It's exhausting having to get a miracle every single day. I mean, that's how ridiculous it sounds. Like, I'm sick of this. But, I mean, as American, I didn't plan on saying this. I didn't say this in the other gatherings, but let me say it to this one. This is such an American thing right here. We are the most depressed nation in the entire world. We are more depressed. And I read this article a couple of weeks ago, and it's the most accurate imagery I can find. We are like cactuses in the rainforest meant to thrive on nothing from the world, just a, just a tiny bit, but we're in the rainforest, drowning in a sea of dopamine. Another hit, another hit, I need more dopamine, I need more of this, everything, craving, craving, craving. This is us. We never see anything but this manna. That's, what an American thing. I never see anything but provision, 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 over and over again, and we're, we're sick of it. And I'm just like, Lord, show me when I'm getting into that mindset. But look, I want you to see the contradiction here. We have lost our appetite. Just a few verses ago, they were saying how hungry they are. They were saying how much they wanted this meat. I want this, I want that. And now all of a sudden, you're denying that you have an appetite at all? Come on, don't do that to yourself. If you wanna move beyond the grave that you crave, you need to acknowledge your appetite. Okay, so this is different than ignoring the cost or forgetting the cost. This is about pretending that there's no problem to begin with. This is about justifying your appetite. This is about saying, nah, I don't, I don't have an appetite for bad things. I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm a pretty good person, right? And I just, I wanna push back on that. Because if you're that good of a person, can you imagine, okay, if you're that great? Sure, you've got moral restraint, so you know how to filter the words that come out of your mouth most of the time. And so you can restrain yourself from acting on your appetite. That's impressive, congratulations. But can you imagine, what if there was a big screen right above your head that could play the audio and the vi visual of every thought that you have everywhere that you go? You wouldn't have any friends at all. <laughs> like nobody, nobody would wanna be around you. I know that for me, because I, I, like my mind is just a bunch of like movie quotes and just random nonsense that goes on. No one would like me, okay? Because I know how to filter it. 
But you've got to acknowledge the appetite is there. So congrats on being able to restrain it every now and then. But you know that it's there. And frankly, it's still going to lead you to the grave. It, it sounds a little bit like this. Well, I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. But secretly, you are hoping that person fails. They got put in that starting position over you on the sports team. And you love that they threw an interception. I mean, you love it. Or that kid, your kid didn't make it into college and you're hoping that the other family that lives next door, that their kid didn't make it into that college either because then you can feel better about your kid. And then they, they fail and it's like, yes. You root for people's failure, you're bitter. And I'm bitter, we have that in us. That's an appetite we have to see other people fail so we can feel better about ourselves. Or this one, I'm not selfish, I'm very generous. And I know you are. And so does everyone who follows you on Instagram because you can't stop posting about how generous you are. I mean, you go on that missions trip and you make sure you find the cutest little orphan that you can and you're like, hey, this, yeah, and you know, I mean, it's, it's about you. It's, now, God can still use that ministry. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is it's all about you. It is. It's all about you. Even your generous deeds are to puff you up. I'm humble. I'm a humble guy. No, how come every time you get in a conversation with somebody, it always comes back to you? They were trying to tell you about their kids and you made it all about yours. It's all about your kids. And it's like, no, I wasn't even asking you. I was just telling you I'm proud of little, little Johnny here. Well, my kids did this too. It's like, okay, it's fine. I don't even know. I was just trying to be, you bring it always back to yourself. We have appetites. What I'm trying to tell you is that. We have appetites for things and we gotta do something about it. And if we keep denying that the appetite exists, it will grow more and more and more because toxic appetites, dangerous appetites grow in the dark. And all we've gotta do to shut these appetites down isn't to deny that the appetite is there, it's actually the opposite. It's to acknowledge it. It's to join a small group, sit in a circle and say, guys, I tell you what, I am struggling with this right here. I mean, I can't get past this temptation. I can't get past this thing. I got pride in there. I felt better than everybody at my job today. I got pride. I got lust. I got greed. And when you shine a light on that thing, it actually starts to kill that appetite. You let it out. You let it out and it actually starts to die a little bit. Acknowledge your appetite. God settles that craving by, by revealing to you how bad the craving is and then reforming it. And otherwise, what God does is he says, hey, this is what you're craving now, but if you'll move a little closer to me, I'll actually slowly, painfully, but surely start to change your appetite. And you'll start to long for the things of the, of the, of the heavens. You'll start to long for things that are pure and noble and trustworthy and true, not the things that are dark and oppressive and destructive to humanity. So we gotta do these four things and that's fine and good. And if I stopped the sermon right here, you'd walk out and you'd just try real, real hard. I wanna just, oh, I don't wanna want bad things anymore. Let me just try really, really hard. And can I tell you, I'd be setting you up for failure. I would set you up for failure because there's another thing you gotta know here. And let's look at the verse. Moses saying, I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're gonna treat me, God, please go ahead and kill me. If I found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. The cravings and the complainings of the entire nation of Israel getting thrust on one man's shoulders. And he says, God, I can't bear it. I can't do this anymore, they're killing me. And I got, I'm always real vulnerable with this third gathering crowd because uh, frankly, I don't have to end on time for this one. And so if you need to leave, go ahead. I, but I gotta be honest with you. I have done ministry from this place for a long time. I mean, a long time. Got people that I was pastoring up in Maryland that they would leave the church and then leave their faith and it would wreck me. I mean, still, I still talk about names to my wife and I can't stop crying for people that don't know Jesus anymore. They were there. They listened to the sermon. They came down to the altar. They lifted their hands in worship and now they don't believe in God anymore. And it breaks me. And I tell God, God, I can't, I can't handle this anymore. I can't handle this. 
Why aren't they getting it? Why don't these people understand? And if I carry that weight, I mean, for Pastor JC to, to be the leader, I'm just his right hand. He's the leader. He feels it all. This is too much of a burden. And I've got to tell you this. You have to stop putting the weight of all of your cravings on other people because you're killing them. You're killing them. You are driving people to mental breakdown to the point of depression because they cannot carry the weight of your cravings, of your foolishness. They can't do it. Let me give you some scenarios. Your boss cannot bear the weight of your financial, I wanted to say stupidity, but I, don't, I love you too much. Your bad decisions that you make with your money. So every time you go and buy something you can't afford, then you go to your boss and ask for more money and then more money. It's not your boss's fault. You gotta steward your finances well. That's your burden. That's not his burden or her burden. How about this one? Let me make it a little more deep, a little more personal. Your spouse, your spouse, current or if you're unmarried and you're longing for that spouse, your future spouse cannot bear the burden of your loneliness. They can't do it. You're gonna crush them. You're gonna crush that marriage. You're gonna suck the joy right out of that marriage, right out of that relationship. If you, single people, let me talk to you, then I'll talk to the married people. Single people, you're praying for that spouse, and you should. But don't try to get married because you sense a void in your life. The, it is, and look, movies are fine, I watch them all the time, but it's a bunch of nonsense to say, well, you're my other half. Nobody wants to marry half a person. I don't wanna marry half a person. I, I don't want that. But, oh gosh, get filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can go into that marriage not needing to squeeze the life and affirmation and money and physical intimacy out of the other person. Go into it whole, made whole by the presence of God. I love this, it says a man who finds a wife finds a good thing. You know what that means? that she was a wife before you ever met her because she was married to Jesus. She was already the bride of Christ. And I wanna honor, wanna honor you right now because I love that you love Jesus way before you love me. And I'm thankful I get to be your husband. And I'm so proud of you for dancing with your savior every day. Keep walking in that. I don't need anything from you. I just want something for you. I'm proud of you. And I want us all to get that way, our future marriages and our current marriage. Don't wait for it to get better. Well, if he'll just affirm me more, if he'll take me on more dates, maybe we'd have a little closeness, maybe. But if you got all the affirmation you needed from Jesus, you wouldn't need to squeeze it out of him. Or, well, maybe if she'd allow us to be a little bit more intimate, maybe our marriage could go to the next level. Okay, no, how about this? How about serve and love? And when you take the first step, the way that Jesus did, when you take the first step, you'll be amazed what happens next. Don't put that burden on the other person. Your child, parents, your kid cannot carry the burden of all your broken dreams and all your regrets. They can't do it. I know, I know you had this great career in front of you or this promising whatever in front of you and then you made decisions and you messed it up and now you're imposing on your kid the pressure to, to do what you never could and you're, you're breaking them. I gotta tell you right now, I'm so thankful for you Go Youth. But can I tell you something? Every time I've prayed with any one of the teenagers in Go Youth, it's the same thing. Anxiety, depression, anxiety, depression. Yes, it's spiritual warfare, but you know what else it is? We have put the pressure of the world on them. We said, hey, you gotta decide what the world is for you. There's nothing true, so just go and figure out what's true and construct your own reality. They can't do it. They can't fulfill the pressure that you're putting on them. You have got to love them and support them, not because of their last name, but because of their first name. When my son starts playing sports, I can't, first of all, I can't wait. I mean, I'm gonna be that dad. I really, I'm coaching everything, all right? I mean, I'm just there, okay? You might not even see me on Sundays, right? I mean, I'm just gonna be there with it. Wait, I'm just, that's a joke. But when I cheer for him, I'm not cheering for him because he shares my last name. I wanna cheer for him because he's Levi, not because he's a Waldrop, not because he's a reflection of my legacy, because I love him. 
and I'm not gonna put the burden of needing to impress my, everyone else that I'm trying to impress. No, I'm just proud of them. Be proud of your kids. Don't put that burden of them. Your pastor, yeah. Your pastor. We just, I mean, I already talked about this. Can't do it. I can't, Pastor JC, we cannot bear the weight of your salvation. I, I can't do it. So you have to stop, and I, I feel like I keep saying this every time I get to preach, I keep coming back to this. I promise you I know other things to preach about, but I can't stop saying this. Like, I'm so sick of being told, well, I wasn't getting fed. Feed me, feed me, feed me. Bro, how long you been following Jesus? Like, you, why can't you go feed yourself? Like, once a week for 45 minutes, you need me to feed you? If you ate once a week for 45 minutes, you'll shrivel away to nothing. Feed yourself, feed yourself. And if you're new to the faith, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to those that you keep putting on your pastor. Feed me the same way they did to Moses. Feed me, Moses. I'm shriveling away here. Feed me, feed me. It's not Moses' fault that you're craving the wrong things. You are going to stay in perpetual hunger and perpetual misery until you stop needing and casting the burden of all your cravings on a created person or on a created thing. But, but, here comes the gospel. And if you've tuned everything else out, time to tune back into this, because here's the beauty of it. Moses says, I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me, kill me. In other words, I would rather die than to carry the burdens of all these people. But the true Moses, the better Moses, the Moses that leads us out of an even more real version of slavery. Jesus says, I will die in order to carry your burdens. Moses says, kill me so I can get out of carrying these burdens. Jesus says, I'll die in order to bear your burdens. I'll nail them to the cross. I'll let it sink me to the grave. Put it on me. Every craving, every hunger, every lust, I can carry it. Give it to me. I'll take it to the grave and I'll raise it to new life again. So this is what you got to know. You want to move beyond the grave you crave? Jesus had to be raised from it. To move beyond the grave that you crave, Jesus had to be raised out of it. And I want you to notice the difference here. The difference in point five and these first four points, these are verbs. These are commands. Move, make, recognize, acknowledge. Those are things you've gotta do. But here's the good thing about the gospel. You'll never do it perfectly, and you gotta admit that. You won't do this perfectly, and neither will I. But this, this is not advice. This is not a command. This is just news, that Jesus had to be raised from it, that Jesus took the grave that you crave, and not only did he bear it, he destroyed it. He made death nothing more than a gardener. And when you get planted in the ground, you spring forth into new life, and he is coming back again to redeem it. But I'm telling you this, church, something has to go in the grave. The grave demands something. The grave demands payment. So what are you gonna do? Are you going to let it swallow you up? Or will you throw your cravings, AKA throw your sin, throw Jesus himself, will you allow him to be the thing, the person that went to the grave on your behalf and he covered the chasm of the grave and you can walk and it crushed him. Your burdens crushed him, but it enabled you to get to the other side of the grave so that you could come forth into new life. You gave him your cravings and he gave you desires for his righteousness. That's the choice that you have to make today. I, I wanna show you a quote and then I'm gonna close and we'll, and we'll get out of here and, and all those different things, but Something has to happen. Something's gotta give. I wanna show you this quote. Everybody that stands before God, this is a quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, uh, The Great Divorce. This is what he said. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. In other words, what are you craving? Who's in control? The ones who will be with God eternally in heaven are those who have said, you know what, God? My cravings are flawed. They're gonna lead me to the grave. So your will, 
Kill the old David. Put the old David in the grave. I need a new David, one that craves the things of God and one that craves the beauty and the majesty of God. Give me your will or those to whom God says, okay, this is what you crave. This is what you want. Go ahead, spend it. And this is literally, this is what hell is. Spend an eternity looking for that next breath that's never gonna come. Spend an eternity trying to find even one moment of satisfaction and you'll break apart, you'll disintegrate forever and ever and ever. No satisfaction will come, nothing. Find it outside of me, there's nothing left. There's nothing that can fill you anymore. So will you stand before God and say, thy will be done? Or is he gonna say to you, okay, run with your cravings, eat it for a day, two days, in eternity and see where it takes you. Church, this is serious. Cast your cares, cast your burdens, cast your cravings on Jesus. He took it, he took it so that you could have his will. His will is better. That's my invitation to you today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in here and you would say, you know what? I want that. I want God's will for my life. I want him right now to take control. If that's you, I invite you to slip your hand up in the air right now and hold it there for just a moment and then you can put it back down. Thank you, Jesus. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Thank you, Jesus. Nine. Thank you, Lord. 10. Holy Spirit, thank you, Lord. You can put those hands down for all of us. What we're about to do here, even if you've already got a relationship with him, we're gonna acknowledge that our appetites are for destruction. We're gonna believe that Jesus took the burden of our cravings so that he could raise us forward to new life and we're committing our life to him. So Father, right now we approach you for the 10 that raise their hand and for the rest of us that stand in agreement that the things we want, even on the other side of salvation, we still crave things that lead to destruction. So God, I pray that we would have our appetites, God, for destruction to die. God, I speak against them, those cravings to be killed. Throw them in the grave, God. Raise us to new life. We believe that you took the burden. You took the penalty because no one else could take it. And you rose again. So we commit our life to you today, Father. Everything we do, may it be pleasing to you. Give us a desire to do the things that are pleasing to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen. Church family, can you welcome the 10 people that just raised their hand to give their life to Christ?